Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. It's good to have you back. We are going to be discussing Classical Studies 101. We're going to do Chapter 7 of the Odyssey. Uh, if you would be so kind on whatever platform you're using to listen to this, give us a lovely rating or some lovely comments. It just helps us, and it makes us feel better. So without further ado... Let us jump into Chapter 7, and of course, if we're going to do that, we need the help of the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Hi, Sean. I just want to let those applause linger there for a little bit. So, Gary, when last we left, we were in Chapter 6. Why don't you tell the listener a little bit about that, and then take us into Chapter 7. Okay, well, <clears throat> chapter six was about Odysseus, um, <clears throat> you know, being greeted by the daughter of the king of uh, Phisha, Alkinoos, and her name was Nausicaa, and she helps Odysseus, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, off the beach, and he was naked, so she gives him clothes and uh, tells him, to go to the palace where he's going to be welcomed and helped home, you know, help to get home. Uh, but for some reason, she doesn't take him with her, and I don't quite understand why. Uh, so she tells him to, you know, hold back and then walk in. I think that they just uh, describe that as her concern with the stranger walking along with her, coming into uh, coming into the 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 town where the palace is and so that they might think it's strange that she's with this odd man. Could that be it? I mean, it could be that maybe. Yeah, I guess Plus so. She's, but a, he, she's a lady. He he's a man. That's, you know, in that era, particularly they'd be careful about, you know. Yeah. But she has a bunch of girls with her and <clears throat> she's riding in a wagon and he would be walking and, uh, hmm. you know, I, I yeah. just don't quite get it, but any anyway, that's Okay. That's the way sure. the story goes. <clears throat> and again, uh, I'm going to read passages from uh, Robert Fagel's um, <clears throat> very readable translation, 1996, of the Odyssey. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he labels this chapter, Fisha's Halls and Gardens. Well, Halls is uh, what Homer use, uses uh, to refer to palace. So he says Halls and means palace. So I'll read you just the introduction. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now as Odysseus, long in exile, prayed in Athena's grove. So apparently there was a sacred grove to Athena on the way to the palace. Uh, as the hardy mule team drew the princess towards the city, reaching her father's splendid halls, meaning the palace, she reigned in at the gates. Her brothers clustered around her men like gods released the mules from the yoke and brought the clothes indoors. So they, so the clothes that she and her girls washed, you know, they're bringing them into the palace. They have clean laundry now, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And then it says, Nausicaa made her way to her bedroom, and there her chambermaid lit a fire for her. Uh, and her name is Yuri Medusa. I thought it's kind of wild to have a part of your name, Medusa, you know. The, yeah, I wonder what, uh, do you know what Medusa means? Is it some particular meaning? Uh, well, I'm sure it is. Well, I don't know what the meaning is in this context, but Medusa's, you know, a, a monster whose hair of snakes, you know. Um, and Oh, right. I was just wondering if the name Medusa itself meant something. You uh, know? So, I mean, I'm sure it does. But I'm, I'm sure it, it does. I, I just, why, would it, why would it have that? Yeah. yeah this, I, I just don't made, know what it is. Okay, sure. There, there's even an ad on TV right now where they have Medusa on it. Yeah, I saw. That's an Amazon uh, Amazon Prime ad, I think. Yeah. So, yes. Anyway. Um, and then, uh, and, and so, uh, your Medusa is an old woman who came from uh, a place called uh, uh, Aperaria. It says, years ago, uh, rolling ships sailed her in. And, and then, uh, and it says, the country... I don't know what that exactly what Homer means by that. Uh, picked her out as King Alkinoos's prize, so she's like a slave given to Alkinoos. So it says, uh, and then she nur- nursed. Apparently, she was a nursemaid to the white-armed princes in the palace. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to Odysseus, and he says, then Odysseus set off towards the city. Um, with, with uh, Athena shielding him. And as he's about to enter uh, the city, the bright-eyed goddess herself came up to greet him there, and she's dis- disguised as a young girl holding a pitcher. And then Odysseus uh, greets her, and he says, Little girl, now won't you be my guide to the palace? And the one they call Ankinous, the king who rules the people of these parts, I am a stranger, you see, weighted down by troubles. Uh, I, I come from a distant, far-off shore, so I know no one here, none at all, in your city and farmlands around about. And then Athena, disguised as a girl, says, Oh, yes, sir, good good old stranger. I'll show you the very palace that you're after. So, uh, and it says, The men here never suffer strangers gladly, have no love for hosting a man from foreign lands. Well, that's not quite true, because uh, apparently, you know, King Alkinos is very gracious and welcoming. You know, it's interesting. It could be that just in, in looking at this chapter, that this particular tribe, this particular group of people, were maybe a little bit more hesitant about strangers. Although, like you, like we've talked about, there is the Greek cultural uh, idea of, of welcoming strangers, and so maybe right. there's a little bit of tension with these these particular people. Yeah, it's called Xenia, that welcoming behavior <clears throat> or, you know, a custom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then it says, and then Athena sped away in the lead. He followed in her footsteps, man and goddess. Uh, but the famed Phaeacian sailors never saw him. So she disguises him somehow so that he uh, they don't see him. So they're not going to question him and wonder who he is and all that sort of thing. Um. Because she puts a, a quote an enchanted mist around him. That's a that's an amazing image, right? That's an incredible. That's a very myth mythic 
kind of look. He's just got a mist. He's shrouded. He moves through. So I like that. I all these little touches that we talk about with Homer, these little these little flourishes, it really gives a richness and a richness to the writing. So yeah, I absolutely. Strictly like that. and it's very uh, visual and intriguing. <clears throat> um, and then as he's going up, he's seen apparently the uh, the harbor, and he and it says that. And he, meaning Odysseus, marveled now at the balanced ships and their havens. And he passes by the meeting ground. So these palaces had an outdoors area called the meeting grounds where the uh, a king or the speaker would speak to, you know, the people from the uh, town. <clears throat> and um, so, and then it says, and at once they reached the king's resplendent halls, meaning the palace. And the bright-eyed goddess cried out, Good old stranger, here, here's the very palace that you're after. I've guided you all the way. Here you'll find our princess dear to the gods, busy feast, feasting. You go on inside, be bold, nothing to fear. Uh, in every venture, the bold man comes off best. So guess what? Virgil and Aeneid uh, copied that line. And he's and he changed it into you know fortune favors the bold. Well, we know whenever the Romans take something, they improve it. So that's probably a fantastic. <laughs> and that's the most up. famous line from Virgil's Aeneid. Yes, fortune favors. The so bold. isn't that interesting that that appears in this chapter? And mm-hmm. every venture, the bold man comes off best. Even a wanderer bound from distant shores. The queen is the first. Uh, light on your halls. Her name is Aridi, and earns the name, whatever that means. And then, uh, and then, and then, first come is Nausithous, son of the uh, earthquake god Poseidon, and so on. Youngest daughter of the Iron World, Eurymedon, and so on. So he, he talks about these different uh, people, um, <clears throat> and. Um, so Nausithous, who allegedly was born from Poseidon, was the Lionheart who ruled Phesia. So he ruled Phesia, and then when he died, uh, you know, Alcinous became the king. So, okay, and and then um, uh, there was a, a man called Rexenor. Who had a daughter named Aridi, and that's the one that uh, King Alcinous marries and makes her the queen. And uh, so he's coming in before the king and queen. Now they're guiding him through. We're getting a a taste and a flavor of what this palace, what this court is like, right? And the people in it. And then uh, Homer talks about. I mean, this is the way that Fagles translates it. So I wonder if he got it directly from Homer, but he says, um, you know, such is her pride of place. That phrase. In other words, they have, they have they take pride in their uh, their palace, their king, and so on. Mm-hmm. As you imagine, they would. I mean, if they're if they're a happy kingdom, they would certainly in this era take pride in that. So it says. So, we not, have, so, so now is 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 Odysseus still shrouded in mist as he's going no, through? No. Okay. <clears throat> okay. And that that's been lifted. So he's walking in and says, Now as Odysseus approached Alcinous' famous house 
A rush of feeling stirred inside his heart, bringing him to a standstill. Uh, and then he pauses uh, at the bronze threshold. Apparently, the threshold of the palace was uh, made of bronze. And then it starts talking about how great this palace is. Uh, it says, A radiant strong as the moon and rising sun came flooding through the high roofed halls, meaning the palace of generous King Alkinos. Generous King Alkinos, okay? Walls plated in bronze, crowned with a circling frieze, glazed as blue as lapis, meaning lapis lazuli. You know, it's a gem. Solid golden doors enclosed the palace, which had silver door, door posts. It's a pretty wild color scheme yeah. going on in there. Okay, sure. And it's decorated with uh, statues. Dogs of gold and silver were stationed on either side, forged by the god of fire, meaning Hephaestus. Uh, so we're so we're clearly supposed to get the idea that this is a prosperous kingdom. Gold, silver, bronze, you know, all that stuff. So, so it says that uh, Hephaestus made it for generous King Alcinous to be his immortal guard dogs and so on. And then in the inner, so farthest from the outer gate, and by the way, you know, I've been searching for the Lost Palace of Odysseus. So I use some of these words to create my hypothetical floor plan for the palace. So I have a outer courtyard, an inner courtyard. I have a, a vestibule, uh, which is uh, called a prodomos, or you know, pre-palace. And then the domos, which is the palace. And here it says, which... You know, farthest from the outer gate is the innermost chamber, <clears throat> and that's where the uh, throne is. And uh, for the listener, so you are looking for the lost palace of Odysseus. We do not know right now where that palace is. You have a belief of where it could be, and you want to see if you can dig it up and find it. I think it's on the island of Kefalonia on the uh, westernmost extension island, which is a peninsula called Paliki. <clears throat> and I found a great candidate site, and if I can ever get the funding, I'll go over there and try to excavate to uh, prove my test expectations of uh, that it is the palace or not. Excuse me, because Homer lists specific architectural uh, features of the palace that are distinctive to that palace. So if I find them, then uh, I could say it's probably the palace, you know. Right, and that's something we hope to document. We hope to document, so. Now, um, he says, here he finds the Phician lords. They're, they're sitting around the king, and they're dining and drinking. He says, the, fleece, the feast flowed on forever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And young boys molded of gold set on pedestals. So the throne room is decorated with young boys of gold set on pedestals. And they were lifting torches. So the torches are held by these statues. It's, it's a pretty glorious palace that's being uh, described. <clears throat> and then it says, uh, Kenos had 50 serving women uh, turning their hand mills and grinding grain. And, and some are weaving at their uh, looms or sitting and spinning their yarn and so on. And then here's a beautiful description. Their fingers flickering quick as aspen leaves in the wind. 
I think that's Homer is yeah Homer is an extraordinary extraordinary <laughs> way and so I think that's uh, that's just another example of how um, how rich and how evocative this work is and why it's lasted so long and then it goes on uh, <clears throat> talking about outside the courtyard and, you know Odysseus is noting all this on his way in uh, fronting the high gates was a magnificent orchard, four acres deep, with a strong fence running around it. Here, luxuriant trees are always in their prime, pomegranates and pears, apples glowing red, succulent figs and olives swelling sleek and dark. And the yield from all these trees will never flag or die. He's talking about how great this garden is. And also there's pear, mellowing ripe on pear, apple on apple, cluster of grapes on cluster, figs crowding figs. You know, so it just talks about how, how beautiful it is. And, and beds of greens, border and plotted, greens of every kind. Sumptuous, yeah. And, and, and uh, watering that are two springs rippling in channels over the whole or- orchard. You know, we talked about this last time. This is one of this is the first time we get to see Odysseus be taken into someplace safe, someplace secure, where he's going to get, um, will be treated well, and he'll have uh, a little bit more comfort. Uh, everything else we, he's been dealing with throughout this entire journey has been brutal, and he's been thrown apart, or he's been enslaved or captured. I mean, obviously some people would think, of course, many people would think with Calypso, he's captured by a beautiful goddess and, you know, made to be her love slave. So that's not exactly uh, a burden, but of course he is married. So that's a burden in that sense. And that's and, so that and is some w- women have condemned uh, Odysseus for that. Um, <clears throat> well, we, we talked about this. He, it, yeah. it, the idea is it's not his choice and he, he really would prefer not to be. Uh, because he wants to be home with his wife. Although we do see examples in this work where that double standard does creep in and he seems to be okay with taking advantage of certain uh, opportunities, uh, even though he is supposed to go home to his wife. We saw that with Circe, right? right. But, uh, but, but by and large, yes, he has not had a good run. So now it looks like he's getting a little bit of comfort, right? Well, that's what he's about to get. <clears throat> so it says, such were the gifts, the glory showered down by gods on King Okinawa's realm. And there Odysseus stood, gazing at all this bounty, a man who borne so much. He had had his fill, of, once he had had his fill of marveling at, at it all, he crossed the threshold quickly, strode inside the palace. Here he found the Phishan lords and captains tipping out libations to, uh, the guide of the gods, Hermes. But Odysseus went on, straying down the hall, and so on. Uh, and, uh, oh, no, I, I was wrong. It says, still shrouded by Athena in her mist, till he reached the reedy and the king. That's what I wondered. Yeah, I thought he was probably still shrouded. Okay, so okay. now he's yeah, I'm sorry about in, the, in the mist. Okay, sure. And then uh, the shroud is lifted, and when he reaches Aridi and, and the king, he flings his arms around Aridi's knees. You know, that's that uh, behavior, you know, that when you're asking for mercy or asking for help, you you uh, 
put your arms around someone's uh, legs, you know. Yeah, I, we had a discussion on our other our sister podcast, Make Matriarchy Grid Again, Disrupting History, uh, with the linguist John Calaruso. And he was talking about how in the Black Sea and in some of the Nart sagas, the tribes around the Black Sea era, that was there was a similar sort of behavior. And it was usually you supplicated yourself to the woman, to the queen of the tribe. Uh, you would, yeah, like that, throw your arms around her or that sort of thing to show that you were saying, I'm surrendering, I need help. Yes, it's an act of uh, begging for mercy and, uh, and help. And so, um, and, then he, he's, and then he speaks to the queen. He says, Queen Aridi, daughter of godlike King Rexenor, hereafter many trials I come to beg for mercy from your husband, yours, all the feasters here. May the gods endow them with fortune of all their lives. May each hand come, each hand down to his sons, the riches in his house, and the pride of place the realm has granted him. But as for myself, grant me a rapid convoy home to my own native land. How far away I've been from all my loved ones, how long I have suffered. Pleading so, the man sank down on, 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 the, on the ashes, or mean on the floor. And it says they, they're, they're all kind of spellbound for a bit. And then it says, at last, an old revered Achenius broke the spell, the eldest lord of Fisha, finest speaker too. Um, and, and he says, this is no way, Alkenos, how indecent. Look, our guest is on the ground and the ashes by the fire. Your people are holding back, waiting for your signal. Come, raise him up and seat the stranger now in a silver-studded chair. And tell the heralds to mix more wine for all so we can pour out our cups to Zeus who loves the lightning. And Zeus, champion of suppliants, meaning people asking for help. I think that's interesting that, you know, if you're a beggar, you can pray to Zeus and he'll help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> so hearing that, Alkinoa's poise and all his majesty took the hand of the season. Worldly wise Odysseus raised him up. So the king raises him up himself and sits him down on a burning chair, displacing his own son, by the way. And a maid brings water soon, a graceful golden pitcher over a silver basin. She tips it out. And so Odysseus then rinses his hands. You know, hygiene was important to the ancient Greeks, Bronze Age Greeks. So before he tells his story, he has to wash his hands. I think that's interesting. Yeah, you know, certain uh, cultural uh, changes occurred probably in the last millennia, really, about hygiene. Because prior to that, people really did have that great sense of hygiene, like we have now. I mean, obviously, we have this, this sense mm-hmm. of it. But that would have made a lot of sense, of course, back then when you talk about uh uh, Xenia, I think you said it was. That's the that hospitality. So part of it would be you're welcoming a stranger, and you're both trying to show that hey, uh, we're being welcomed in. We're gathering together. We're clean. We're healthy. We're respectful of each other's space. So that would make sense to me, at least, anyway. <clears throat> yeah, and um, and so um, <clears throat> so they do that, and then it says. Um, uh, and, and then he tells the housekeeper to bring bread and appetizers. <laughs> and and uh, so the long-suffering great Odysseus uh, ate and drank. So Finally, he catches a break. Again, this behavior where you 
welcome a guest, you, you, you wine and dine him, and then only after all that do you ask him who he is and where he's from, what he's about, you know? Mm-hmm. And then while they're doing this, they're pouring all these libations out to the gods. And uh, uh, and, and then, uh, 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 you know, then this uh, Lord of, <coughs> uh, of Alkinus says, Hear me, lords and captains of Phesia. Hear what the heart inside me has to say. Now our feast is finished. Home you go to sleep, but at dawn we call the elders into full assembly, host our guests in the palace, sacrifice to the gods, and then we'll turn our minds to his passage home. So in other words, uh, they don't even want to hear from him until the morning. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's Excuse a, again, me, that, it's a, that was how Ken was uh, speaking. Um, right. Again, it's a, a great example of, of just for the hero of the piece, of just a little bit of break. The light's starting to open up in his life a little bit. And then uh, Ken was wonders if he is mortal or immortal. Is he really a, a man or is he a god disguised? You know, so... They didn't know. And so Odysseus responds, and he says, Alkenos, wary Odysseus countered, cross that thought from your mind. I'm nothing like an immortal who rules the skies, either in build or breeding. I'm just a mortal man, whom you, whom you know most saddled down in sorrow. They are the ones I'm, I'm equal grief for grief. And I could tell a tale still more hardship. All I've suffered thanks to the God's will. But despite my misery, let me finish dinner. The belly's a shameless dog. There's nothing worse. So, so he wants to eat first, you know. And um, and, he, and he says, in the first light of day, you know, uh, um, no, it's another man speaking. He says, let's set our unlucky guest on his homeward soil, you know. And then Odysseus says, uh, yes, and then I can die in peace, meaning after he gets home. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow, they're whining. So he's, and had, so he's had his feast. Yeah, he's had his feast. He's getting his chance to kind of rejuvenate, to revive himself, but also to get some rest. Of course, both are the same thing. And, you know, they'll wait till morning to kind of hear further. Yeah. So it's a real blessing for him, right? After being storm tossed and thrown out into nowhere, just trying to get home. And then he says, This much I'll tell you. Um, <clears throat> um, but, you know, I'll, uh, in other words, he's saying eventually he's going to tell him the story, uh, the full story of all his troubles start to finish. <clears throat> and he says, uh, This much I will tell you. Uh, there is an island, I'll get you lying far at sea, where the daughter of Atlas, Calypso, has her home, the seductive nymph with the lovely braids. Um, but I, cursed as I am, some power brought me to her heart alone. When Zeus, the white-hot bull, had crushed my racing worship down the wine-dark sea. I love that phrase, the wine-dark sea. And there all the rest of my low shipments died. So in other words, <clears throat> all the rest of his... Uh, crew died. He's alone of all his men. And he had men for 12 ships that he sailed to Troy on, you know? 
Right, right. Um, and he says, the, the goddess took me in in her kindness, welcomed me warmly, uh, cherished me, even vowed to make me immortal, ageless all my days, but she never won my heart inside me. Never. Seven endless years I remained there, always drenching with my tears the immortal clothes Calypso gave me. And then when the eighth year come wheeling around, she insisted I sail, inspired by the warning set. So then he goes on to describe, uh, you know, how he built a raft, and then he sailed it for 17 days. And then he talks about how, you know, Poseidon uh, saw him and destroyed the raft. And then, uh, you know, how he got washed up on uh, Sharia's shores, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, 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 and it, it says, um, the, the king instructs, you know, the, no, the queen does. The white-armed queen instructed her palace maids to make a bed on a, a porch's shelter. Apparently they keep hosting guests on a porch for some reason instead of putting them in a room inside the palace. To make a bed of a porch's shelter and lay down some heavy purple throws and blankets and so on. So, uh, certainly, the, it seems to be maybe a cooler or an easier place for them. But as we're coming up to the end of our episode, uh, let us let's see if we can can just kind of uh, wrap well, I just up want what to finish to uh, the chapter. Sure. It just says, "Yes." Uh, Odysseus said, uh, "Up, friend, time for sleep. Your bed is made." I mean, that's what he's being told. Mm-hmm. It says. Uh, how welcome the thought of sleep to a man now. So there, after many trials, Odysseus lay at rest on a corded bed inside the echoing colonnade. Alcinous slept in chambers deep in his lofty house while where the queen, his wife, arranged and shared her bed. And that's the end of the chapter. That's okay. Well, so it's sort of like uh, Odysseus gets... Gets a break, gets some, gets a rest, gets a nap. Finally, so, he's being treated finally. kindly after all these years, with, with no agenda other than to help him. Thank heaven. That's some applause for Odysseus. Well, but also we should give some real applause for our uh, our doctor, Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. This has been the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. We've been talking about Chapter 7 of the Odyssey. Love this work. I hope you're enjoying the journey with us. We will be back again soon. Thank you so much, and God bless. Take care. 